Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists, and sometimes others, talk about journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aurora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. Uh, My name is Peter Frey and I am the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology in Sydney. And my producer today is the ever-wonderful Anthony Dockrell. Today's show is primarily about those sometimes uneasy bedfellows, money and journalism, the business of the business. Why? Well, because journalism is a business. Yes, of course, it's a public good. There's no argument about that. But it can't really be a public good unless it makes money, with, of course, the exceptions of the public broadcasters and... um, anyone inclined to give money to journalism for philanthropic reasons, and we might get to that later in the show. So um, even the humblest not-for-profit or journalism startup needs to make dough. So this week, uh, I've called in a couple of industry experts to help me explore what is going right and perhaps what's going wrong in the business side of news media. Welcome to the show, Tim Burrows, the founder and driving force of Umbrella. Peter, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm sure you all do know, but Mumbrella is the media marketing industry news site and the convener of many, many important trade shows, awards nights, and conferences, and conversations more to the point, including the Mumbrella Publish uh, Conference, which was on last week. Correct. Another successful successful moment? Look, we were very happy with the quality of the conversations that were going on in the day. We were very happy with the happiness of our winners at the Mumbrella Awards that night as well. And uh, I guess we had many of the conversations that we we might find ourselves talking about today as Mm, well. That's good. Yeah, no, I'm sure we will. And I'm looking forward to that. And on the line from Melbourne, uh, I am so pleased to say we have Rebecca Costello, the CEO of Schwartz Media, the home of the Saturday paper, the monthly and the recently launched 7 a.m. podcast, a daily news digest and a great addition uh, to the podcasting world. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Peter. Hello, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and it's great to have you because uh, we have had a couple of false starts about you being on the show, and I feel very blessed to uh, oh, thank you. Very <laughs> can I can I start with you, Rebecca? So you've been the CEO of Maury Schwartz's expanding media empire for what is it now? Five years. Oh, I, I uh, wish. <laughs> no, no, no. 13 years, actually. 13 years? I'm sorry. Got 13 that, years. Oh, my gosh. Got that horribly wrong. Um, okay, so you came from the AFL. Is that right? Uh, my immediate role before um, Schwartz was the AFL. Right. Um, but my first job in publishing was the classified department of the AH newspaper during oh the God. heyday of the Rivers of Salt. Was that uh, the wonderfully named Ick Potter? Ick Potter. We've had some funny situations <laughs> with Ick Potter, yeah. I used to be quite scared of Ick Potter because they kind of made Ick Potter kind of like a, uh, like a, a mascot. Right, it was. It was called. Ikpoda stood for in the classified pages of the age. Ikpoda. It's correct, and there was a huge uh, marshmallow man Oops. from Ghostbusters side Ikpoda in the office, who I was quite fond of. Yep. Yeah, you and Ikpoda. That could be the name of your book. <laughs> That could be uh, my autobiography. Yeah, that's right. So I'm, I'm going to start off with an easy question: what attracts what attracts you to news media? Uh, I think. Yeah, I think I think it was back in those days at the age. I think I fell in love with everything about news media. I think it was the fast-paced environment. 
um, but particularly with the content that The Age was producing. Um, it was the sense that you were you know, working on the commercial side, but working for something that had a purpose. It just kind of felt important. Mm, mm. Um, and then you went to the AFL. No, there were many iterations in between that. Um, you know, I worked in lots of publishing places, all different types of content, you know, probably content you would call clickbait now if it was digital um, right. back in the day. Um, yeah. uh, and was at the AFL as commercial director of AFL Publishing, which is now AFL Media, I suppose. Oh, right. So that was sort of post-slattery, all that. That was with slattery. With slats, right. With okay. slats, yes. Gosh, well, there you go. Okay. There yes. you go. There you go. Okay, well, Tim, let's let's just introduce you a little bit to the listeners uh, and about Umbrella. You're that rare beast of a journo who kind of had an idea, started a company, and, what, seven years or so down the track, managed to sell it for what I assume is a profit. Yeah, look, we were, we were, we were happy with the number that we got. So. You've, I've, heard, I've heard you say that before. <laughs> <laughs> the number is reported at $8 million. Is that Is that in the ballpark? Well, one of the things I learned as a journalist <laughs> along the way when you do this process is that there are all sorts of NDAs one signs as part of the process. So suddenly it becomes you, you understand from the other point of view when you're trying to get someone to say a number. Oh, they really can't, can they? <laughs> so, um, so, yes, I saw that reported as well. <laughs> all right, and we're in, <laughs> we'll move on, shall we? <laughs> okay, well, anyway, uh, you can read the report if you like. It's out there. But uh, that's not why we're here. Um, so tell us a bit about, you know, starting Umbrella and why you think it's been a success story and and why you aren't sipping a daiquiri on Lake Como <laughs> as we as we speak. Look, the um, I, I guess some of the, the, the starting Umbrella is I, I was very – I am a journalist all of my adult life and I was very, very fortunate that each bit of journalism probably – prepared me for where I ended up going with Mumbrella. So uh, long time in local newspapers, but then in the specialist trade press. So for a while, Hospital Doctor, which was focused uh, on doctors working in the National Health Service in the UK, and then Media Week in the UK, a similar title in the Middle East called Campaign Magazine, and then came over to Australia to do B&T. So much more, uh, which back in the day used to stand for broadcasting and technology, but was now sort of known as, you know, the at that point, the ad, sort of weekly Adlan title, which was what brought me to Australia. And um, I suppose all the way, I, I was just learning the business model of the trade press, right. which really is you, you know, you the journalist wouldn't use this language, but you build your brand, you build your trust of your audience. That's your Christmas tree, and then you hang a number of baubles on it, and those are your those are your revenue streams. And really, everything we've done with Mumbrella, apart from maybe the print component, is everything I learned in the trade press. There's right. not actually anything new in the principles themselves. So your baubles, to, and I do like this metaphor, and I'm sure Rebecca, you've got baubles too, if I may say. But uh, <laughs> we get to your baubles in a minute. But your baubles, like conferences, events, awards, that's where you're making money, right? Yeah, correct. So more than half of our revenue now would come from the events side of the business. So, you know, we do we, we, we do take advertising on the website and because our central audience are people working in media and marketing, mm-hmm. there are plenty of advertisers who want to talk to those people and will pay a premium to do so. So that's a healthy revenue stream. But we also organise conferences and awards, as you say, and with conferences and awards, certainly with conferences, you've, you've got people who buy tickets mm-hmm. and you've got people who will pay to sponsor to talk to those people. And with awards, you have people who pay to enter, people pay to buy tables on the night, and again, might 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 sponsor too. So 
there are multiple revenue streams just around that event side of things. Mm, mm. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it such, seems such a, in a way, it seems very obvious, but it's it's not that obvious. I mean, in a sense, it's not that easy to do and do it right. Look, the one thing that I would argue we do maybe slightly differently is we always come at it with a bit of a journalistic mindset. So when we curate something, it's journalists who do it. And they their job is to know and understand our audience and understand what the issues they want to talk about are, right. to have the contacts and the knowledge to actually invite those people to speak, for instance, and the relationship to do so. So, so, so you know, we, 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 we see our event curation team as, as, as journalists just like any other. Right. Their job is to know their audience and serve that audience. And that, I think, is one of the reasons we, you know, we would make the argument that we can, we can put on an interesting, lively, relevant conference is because we are out there talking to our contacts and using our journalism skills to actually deliver a product that's right for our audience. Rebecca, just briefly on that, uh, do you see any value? in Schwartz Media and conferences as a revenue stream? We've certainly discussed it. Um, I think like with everything that we do, and again, just going back to what Tim said, as you're saying that, Tim, I think there's we're very similar. Um, there's nothing really new about what we're doing. You have a core hmm. of, of principle, and off that you try and create multiple revenue streams. And we obviously, we've looked at conferences, we do events as well. Um, obviously, we've got newsletters, we've got multiple kind of things coming in. Um, but everything has to go and be naturally connected back to that kind of core foundation and quality is the core of everything that we do. Mm, yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to that definitely. Um, so, Jess, we are in the middle of what's sort of like a conference awards season's kicked off. We had Umbrella published last week, as I mentioned, and then the News Media Works conference called Inform uh, has been on this week. Um, and then there's much more to come. There's the Walkley Night and the Andrew Ollie lecture featuring uh, Peter Fitzsimons and the Quills and all these all these great nights where journos basically drink cheap wine and get drunk and tell each other how they love each other. <laughs> Wonderful nights, really, don't you think? Look, I, I, there's something special, particularly about journalism awards, isn't it? Mm. I think sometimes it's just the quality of the hatred between the different <laughs> sides of the room. There's just an extra sort of frisson when one lot wins and the other one doesn't. So, look, I, I do think having sat through a lot of our own awards and, and other ones, there is a degree more passion in the journalism awards, I mm. think. Do you agree with that, Rebecca? I do. I mean, on awards, I think that we could possibly be a consolidation, particularly in the trade. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, from a publisher perspective, I'd like to see, certainly, um, maybe controversial, I'd love to see a separation of editorial between branded content and actual public interest journalism, different categories and things like that. I think there's a bit of a mishmash happening where we're confusing different types of journalism in these awards, and that is making us be very, very selective about the awards, uh, other than a Walkley, which obviously is a journalism award. Mm. Um, and prestigious and, and um, fun, yes, definitely, and, and actually really, really means something if you win it. But surely um, a Umbrella Publish Award would mean something. It would. You know, it, it, oh, we won one. Thank you very much. Um, we <laughs> did win one last week. Um, yeah. It would, but I do think looking at all the entries and the time they take and, and all that, I think there could be a consolidation mm. or some sort of, you know, someone could rise to the top with kind of a really... Um, broader and, and more defined kind mm. of on types of journalism. Okay, interesting, interesting. I, I put my ugly mug into both Publish, uh, Mumbrella Publish and Inform. And and to cut to kind of with the guts of this uh, chat, um, I got the feeling, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm not, but I got the feeling that the gloom 
appears to be lifting a little in the journalism game. Uh, Tim, is that how you're seeing that? Yeah, look, I do. Funnily enough, because I, you know, when we started the published conference, it was, I guess, in the the depths of that feeling of crisis. And absolutely, one of the things I found myself thinking during the day at Publish, and I, I spent as much time just hanging out in the speaker's lounge and, mm. and chatting to people from the industry as I as I did in the conference room, as I, I came away and actually ended up writing about it in, in, in our Best of the Week email. The fact that, yes, it does feel like people are kind of through the worst. They, they, they're now beginning to look towards growing profitability off a smaller base. But, you know, sort of looking forward, looking at new things, you know, the, the, the level of panic has maybe gone away a bit. Uh, and I know um, it, it was a similar message at the News Media Works event this week mm. as well, you know, in, in form where um, Damien Eels, who works for News Corp, but is also the president of uh, INMA, which mm. is the International News Media um, Association, he made that very same point, sort of, he didn't use these words, but he was sort of arguing the worst is over. So, so on that point and Rebecca jump in are we talking ourselves up because we're sick of talking ourselves down which is not a bad thing in itself or is there really you know have we turned the corner I think so I think that you know you you know when circulations and ad revenue started to drop I think there was where were they going to stop Mm. Um, and I think that was really quite especially for the larger publishers that was you know that was a scary time I think they've stabilized and off the back of that stability the panic is same word, panic is settled, and I think that does create space to look at new opportunities, agree off a lower base, but off a consolidated base and people who have remained engaged. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I definitely felt that feeling, and it's, you know, I used to feel uh, that to be too positive about our situation, you know, I, I didn't like to do that um, or speak about that openly because we're a bit different and a different model. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it feels like there is definitely a positive, positive feeling, okay, so- you know, as it should be. Uh, well, I guess the question then, again, to both of you, Tim first maybe, is why? What what has actually happened? Look, I suppose at some point you do, you have to hit bottom. Right. Which, so we kind of hit bottom factor. is basically it. So we, we, we hit bottom. And I think we've had to re you know cut the cloth accordingly. So mm. it used to be that there were two great revenue streams in, in advertising and circulation sales generally. I'm talking particularly about newspapers here as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the wider print magazine market. Um, and I think now there's been this sort of rebalancing process where for the mainstream papers, they're, they're working on getting the audience to actually value what they're getting digitally as well to persuade people it's worth paying to subscribe. And that's been the big battle when for years they were used to getting it for free. And hey, most people probably still don't pay mm. and may never, but a growing number are. And that, of course, is 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 where the, the news media is focusing on, are those people who are willing to pay and just, just growing that number each year. That becomes the new revenue stream mm. on a smaller cost base, which is where the newspapers have got to now. You know, a lot of people lost their jobs, but as a result of that, then their viable financial institutions, you know, and I, and maybe just not to be overly positive, I'm, I'm not sure that consumer magazines have hit bottom yet. You know, they're, they're generally still quite reliant on circulations, which are falling. Mm. So I, I think, um, in newspapers, I'd say we've hit bottom, but I'm not so sure about magazines. You, well, well, we'll talk about this in a minute, at greater length, but do you think free to wear has hit bottom? Good question. No, probably not. Look, it, it, it felt like it dipped and came back. Um, but certainly for free-to-air television, mm. I mean, if I was a marketer, which obviously our audience are, 
if you want to reach a mass audience all at once, TV is still a really great option. You know, it's one of the most powerful. If you've got a big campaign, mm-hmm. you need to talk to a lot of people on a Sunday night. That's where you'll start. That doesn't mean, though, that it won't be disrupted. It's not seeing challenges. It's not seeing the money go in, in other places, which is why we, we saw the troubles of 10. Mm-hmm. We see the troubles 7 are going through now. Um, so disruption is coming. But that doesn't mean it's not a really powerful advertising medium that, that will come through it. Well, part of it is about margins, and we'll go maybe go to margins in a minute as well. But really at the heart of this sort of turnaround, or reasons to be cheerful, if you like, is uh, reader engagement, right, Rebecca? So it's all about reader engagement. What does that mean, though, for Schwartz Media? What does, I mean, because reader engagement means different things to different people. It does. You know, reader engagement for us is something that we've benefited from forever because we've been a subscription business, you know, back in the day, the monthly and still today, the monthly magazine, um, and Tim, I don't agree, that certain magazines, consumer magazines, are declining circulation. We're 20% up at retail, um, mm. the monthly, every issue this year. And I think, again, I'm, I mean, I'm going to keep saying the same thing. It's <laughs> the quality content, um, the content you can't get elsewhere. I think people, um, sure. people are still looking for that, and it's become rarer. Yeah, okay. But can I ask you both about this, which is the thing that worries me or keeps me awake a little bit at night about this. So we we know we've got readers uh, and we're trying to get more money out of them. And I guess what worries me is, aren't these the people we always had? And what we've done in effect is say, you know, we gave it away for free. That was a big mistake. Everyone pretty well agrees now that that was a mistake. We've got those readers back who are the readers we always had. But what about the rest? I mean... What about how do you know the, the digital news report uh, says that sixty three percent of Australians occasionally, sometimes, or often avoid the news? I mean, are they lost to us, or how do we get them, or should we even bother about them? I, I'm not entirely clear myself. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, look, in the end, there are some people who just aren't that interested in news, and that's sad. You know, they won't on the local level. They won't find out about the planning application next door. They won't hear about the, you know, the dodgy councillor. They won't. Uh, they 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 won't actually find out from police calls what you know. But the, they've always existed. Yes. But the point is that you we now need to get the reader revenue is basically fifty percent or something of the of the you know the game. Look, I guess the thing is though, there's no product that gets a hundred percent of the let's use the marketing jargon jargon the, the addressable audience yes. you know they you 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 you'll, you'll get a slice of it and the job of the marketer and the subscription marketer is to grow that number and obviously the more they you the more you're able to grow that number while still being true to the product and retaining your existing subscribers then the more successful you'll be but you'll never get everyone and that that absolutely is the challenge you know i think one of the reasons why Schwartz media is so successful is because it's got really defined products for really defined but limited audience. Rebecca, you're well, itching, sorry. Yeah. I am, because I think that, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, a large percent of the Australian public have lost trust in media and, and they're tired of, of um, and I, I hearing all of those things. I think with Schwartz, what we have done is, you know, our content, absolutely, we have a niche audience, we know who they are, but we also are always looking at different ways of taking our journalism out to new audience and finding the most accessible ways in different um you know, through different mediums or, or different kind of ways of storytelling. So, you know, 7am is a perfect example of that. I mean, when we launched 7am, we just made that decision a couple of years ago to not get into this video fad of, you know, it would have been easy for us to, to look to move that way and it would have been very wrong. Mm. Um, we couldn't produce video in that way and it could have been the end of us. 
you know, we made a call back then that we were going to move into audio and it was about in what way. 7am is, you know, the, the, the content comes from Saturday paper and the monthly and it's a different way of taking our journalism to people or bringing people to our journalism. Are they different people though or are they the people you so, already have? It's so far from what we can tell and the analytics are quite, um, uh, how do I say, they haven't evolved as much. I mean, it is a new space, especially a, a new podcast in that space that we're, we're operating in and there's not a lot. It's a growing audience and it's growing fast. But the analytics aren't there. What we can see from the analytics that we can see, particularly from like a Spotify, which give the most detailed analytics, are they definitely are a different audience and they're younger. And they're listening to the same storytelling in a different way. Right. And it's on um, and demand. Yeah. Sorry? And it's on demand, of course. I mean, on demand. And, you know, and they are listening to it, though. The majority, we can obviously see that when they are mostly listening to it. And they are mostly listening to it on their commute on the way. Right. Um, and that's what it's absolutely designed for. Um, but there's still serious issues told long form. You know, 15 minutes is long form in audio, mm. um, in, in news. And they're listening, you know, 90% of the way through. So I think it's... Can you tell me how many you're getting? Yeah, we're getting 25,000 a day. Well, that's a big number. Um, that seems to be a very like healthy that. number, yeah. Well, it's half of where we'd want to be by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I, you I, know, I, I, know, I know that like something like The Daily, they've just released their Australian audience for sale, the New York Times, The Daily, and they're mm. getting 40,000 a day, and they've been around five years, three, five years, however yeah. long. So, um, yeah, we're really, we're really happy with our numbers. Obviously, I want, always want bigger numbers. But, you know, it is a momentum and it, there's hard ways. Of, it is a growing and evolving audience. And how are you going to monetize those 25,000? We have monetized it. We launched with a with Advertising. A partner. Mm-hmm. We launched, you know, our cost, mm-hmm. we're selling it on a cost per thousand model. I mean, we don't do anything without a financial model. That's also part of our success. I mean, you know, back in the day with the monthly, when I came on board, it was, you know, the monthly, um, there was nothing like the monthly in this country, but the financial modelling on the monthly, it needed that thinking of what are the revenue streams, how do we, you know, sort out distribution, subscriptions are obviously key. Mm. Um, you know, we, we've, the foundations, and like Tim said earlier, it, it, there's nothing really that new in it. it it's just logic and um, uh, looking at the natural fits and the natural additions to that audience and always respecting that audience, and that's something that we always do. Tim, can I ask you whether you think journalists should know more about the business of journalism? I think it depends on your role as a journalist because let, let's not yeah. forget there are different, different uh, types. M- so, multiple you know, varieties. You know, yeah. as, a, as a reporter, I don't think it mattered very much. You know, the, the, Probably the most important thing that I knew was that I should completely ignore what was going on on the floor below with the sales team. You know, I mm-hmm. church and state. Yeah, ch- church and state. You know, I was lucky enough to grow up on one of those local papers where, mm. if someone picked up the phone to the news editor and said the words "hello, I'm an advertiser with you," he would just very at that point just transfer the call downstairs. Mm. And sometimes they'd come through two or three times before they realised it wasn't an, in an and error. then the editor would hang up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, 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 so for reporters, that that's quite important. As you become an editor, then understanding the business model itself becomes more important because actually what you want is you know the, the the journalists and the executives further up the chain to have the product ideas that can be monetized so you you need to understand that ecosystem in order to do that because i'd i'd always much much rather have ideas bubbling up from the people who understand their audience who are who should be the champions of the audience because they're the ones who have the best chance of coming up with something which is authentic but which will also work. Sure. I mean, that's the point, isn't it, Rebecca? I mean, that if we are supposed to be engaging with our audience and if audience engagement is, you know, half 
or more of our revenue, then uh, you know who knows the audience better than the journalist in theory. Uh, uh, look, absolutely, you know, a crew, you know, obviously roles in media companies have changed. You know, important roles. An important role in an organisation such as ours is now a product manager that sits in the commercial team, mm. and then a role that we uh, will be recruiting for in the new is an audience engagement manager that sits on the editorial side. So. Those two people have their relatively new roles in a media organisation. Mm. You know, well, certainly in ours, and, and I know in others, but they've actually become critical and pivotal roles. They, they operate independently. We, an organisation such as ours, we don't chase impressions or chase audience. You know, obviously, the content we're producing isn't to get as many clicks as we can. It's you know, quality on quantity. But it still is about understanding that. There's certain archetypes within an audience and that all that editorial work that you're speaking to someone in that kind of pool in every every issue you publish, every week, every month, every day, whatever you're doing, there's something for everyone. Um, and I think that so there are there's new, there's new roles. Hmm. Um, and do, you th- do you think that's a role for a journalist, an audience engagement officer? I, I think they've got to have a journalism background, yes. Right. It's certainly not a commercial um, role. It, hmm. will, it will sit in our editorial team, absolutely. Right. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. Just quickly on the monthly, because uh, the monthly launched in t- 2008, if I'm... 2005, yeah. Oh, 2005, sorry. I beg your pardon. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention a comparison with the monthly and the bulletin, because the bulletin died in 2008. That's where I got that from. So you, uh, why did the monthly, you know, survive and thrive when the bully died? Got any theories yeah, on that? I mean, the bully was over 100 years old by then, you know, and I think that the bulletin was not than what it was in its heyday. You know, it was very different. It had reverted to short form. It had, you know, it was a bit, to be honest, a bit of a mess, but it also, by the time it died, I don't think it wasn't, it hadn't stuck to its core principles and and what it was. I think there was nothing like what the monthly was, which, you know, totally was inspired by the New Yorker, Um, but, you know, but focused on issues that affected this country, Australia. Um, Mm, Okay. And I think that the the monthly, um, you know, if you look at the monthly, not much has changed in it, the designs changed, um, but not much has changed in it in the way it flows, the layout since it was launched, you know, 13, 14 years ago now. Um, I think the reason that survived is we, again, and it's one of the things that even now when we look back and over the last five or seven years, we have stuck to the core principles. We haven't deviated from, we haven't jumped onto fads, we've, we haven't given everything away for free. And I think that's the same with the monthly. We have stuck to those values, long-form, serious writing, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's something that people do want. You yeah. know, I think there is a market in this country. You know, the monthly has an audience of, you know, of you know, 237,000 people every month. Um, that's not, uh, does that, is that sales or no? That's No, what? no, no, that's, that's cross-platform yeah. audience. Okay. Data from figures. <laughs> um, it's 17% up year on year. Um, and it's serious content, you know. It's, it, 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 mm. I think people are searching that more. So I think that the, that we that was when the foundations were laid for the business of journalism, if you like, which is the thing that I certainly bring to this organisation, the thing that attracted me to news media, you know, 20 years ago at the age, was having the model, because you can, can produce great content, as you said, Peter, and you can do all of those things, but if it doesn't break even or can't be paid for then, you know, it, it's not going to survive. And I am very attracted to and satisfied by creating those models. And I think the model for the monthly, you know, that was where the foundations for that financial model to fund that journalism um, was created mm. uh, and I'd, laid, and they haven't changed that okay. much. Tim? I'd maybe make the argument, though, that absolutely there need to be business models to pay for these things. 
But sometimes there also has to be an element of risk where mm. actually you can mm. just lose a lot of money by and I look back I, I win slightly when you said the word fad Rebecca but I may and I, I'd maybe argue for the word trends but I remember we, we lost a couple of hundred grand on doing an iPad edition right so um, lots of people lost money on doing an iPad yeah, edition you know and I'd argue we we, we, we we actually created some great content that taught us a few things how to do mm. um, and we learned a few things along the way but absolutely the actual project itself was a failure mm. but it's not an experiment that I regret. Mm. I guess it depends a little bit on how deep the appetite for risk right I mean yeah. do can I ask uh, Rebecca do, do these products that come out of source media do they they don't turn a profit on day one right? Well uh, so so the monthly no right. um, but Sunday paper has, and, and just hands on my heart, you know, we've obviously been, you know, often, often in the press, you know, it, it's not, this is not the case, which is, you know, a, a personal insult, actually. But the, the Saturday paper has funded itself entirely on itself since day one. So yeah. we did a very extensive foundation subscription campaign in the lead up to the launch of that newspaper. Um, that was the, you know, the, the foundation for the for, of revenue, the pool of revenue that we used to operate that title whilst advertising got found momentum and advertising took, you know, 12, 18 months to get to a point where it was, you know, getting even close to a budget every week. Mm. Um, but the, we, we then each year managed to, get, you know, we've still got a 70% renewal rate on those foundation subscribers. Wow. Um, so we have used that operating. So, yes, that has. Um the um, so the Saturday paper has and and at this point seven a.m. has right um, okay so seven, right. yeah can I uh, switch switch tack a little bit here um, and it goes to back to something you mentioned earlier uh, Tim which was the joys of having a lot of drunken slightly hating journos in the same room um, which was Mark Ryan yesterday at the Inform conference made an interesting speech and. Uh, among the things he said was that it was time for the industry to stop, stop sniping at each other and engaging in what he called, and I quote, the infantile notion that one news organization, one news organization is all good and another all bad. So that's kind of a bit of an interesting position for him to be. I guess if anyone's going to say it, he could say it, given he's got all that money and everyone has to love him. But um, So he's basically saying, end the news media culture wars and, and learn to get on. What do you think, Tim? I mean, is that just a, a nice idea, but it ain't going to work? Look, I think it has evolved to a certain extent. If you look at News Corp now and nine owner of the former Fairfax titles now. It goes right to the top, doesn't it? You know, at, sure. at News Corp, you've got Michael Miller. At nine, you've got Hugh Marks. They're both actually pretty calm, pretty rational people, mm. and they set a tone, and, and it's not as vicious. They do cooperate on things. Well, they cooperate I'm, on printing, well, for instance, distribution, uh, things like that. You know, So, so yes, the, the journalists might still still quite enjoy the, the, the hating of each other, and, and absolutely, you know, there are, there's, there's sledging back and forth and all of those things but i think there's the the beginnings of a recognition that they also have a common enemy in the likes of google facebook etc <laughs> well, yes. and you can look to the tv organizations as well you know nine seven and ten are actually quite good at speaking with one voice 
when it's in their own self-interest to do so. In a way, they wouldn't have done like 10 Like the years right ago. to know and what have you. But, I mean, we still have plenty of columnists and people on Twitter from all sides. I mean, the Saturday paper does it. The News Corp does it. You know, Chris Kenny's columns are Jared Henderson. Oh, my God. The Guardian. I mean, everyone's at it. Even the, even the ABC has a little dig once in a while. So is this uh, – I, I mean, this is not a big issue, but I'm interested in what you think, Rebecca. Is this just uh, – is that somewhat naive? I mean, isn't it all part of the lifeblood of journalism? I think both things are important and correct. I think that, you know, in a robust media, there's going to be stories that involve calling out other media organisations, politicians, companies, individuals as required. But I do wish that News and Nine, formerly Fairfax, had worked together sooner on distribution and and printing, you know, we're all involved in the same ecosystem at the end of the day. And um, well, they did try. I can tell you from my own personal experience, it was uh, oh, there were a lot of efforts at trying to get uh, distribution and printing um, together, as they as happens, as you know, in the UK. As flabbergasting, as flabbergasting me, a number of conversations and the number of years that those conversations have gone on, and I often wonder how if newsrooms would still be of a more significant size if they had to work that together sooner, but that's a whole nother. Well, it is. Story. I mean, the apocryphal, the apocryphal story of uh, my involvement with it, with it, it went to Rupert Murdoch, um, uh, this idea of joint distribution and joint printing. And he said, and it's apocryphal, uh, does that help Fairfax? And <laughs> someone said, yes, of course it does. And he said, well, fuck it. We're yeah. not doing it. I mean, yeah. that's pretty well. I mean, that was sort of somewhat, I don't think whether he said it or not, but that's pretty well the attitude. Absolutely, and, and I think that was quite short-sighted. And I'm sure that everyone would agree. I mean, if that had have happened 10 years ago when conversations started probably sooner, you know, there would have been a lot of... Um, it just would have been more efficient. But, it, look, it is happening now slowly, um, and there's been some announcements, you know, about home delivery even in the last... Last week. Like, yeah, 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 that's true. Um, let's keep going on sort of fragmentation as well. So uh, as we've all been saying, you know, we... News consumers have never had more choice, right? It's great news for them. Uh, but how does that play out for media companies? I, 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 the case in point, I think, is the Channel 10 show, The Masked Singer, which has got a metro audience of, what, 1.16 or something the first night, um, which that has been seen as a success. And yet years ago that would have seen as a bit of a bomb, wouldn't it? So. Have we all got lower expectations now, is that it? Look, we're not watching the same thing at the same time anymore. Yeah. That's just a fact. We're never going to go back to those days again where, you know, maybe with, you know, a few things like perhaps the opening ceremony of the Olympics, you'll get really big audiences or something like that. But mostly it's just not going to happen anymore. It's just how it is. You know, there are too many other choices for consumers. Arguably that makes brands more important because that's where they'll go is to the to, to the, the brand. trusted brands, you mm. know, when they've got too much choice. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll never go back. We'll never go back. And, and it's demand. It's on demand. People watch it when they want to watch it, on the way they want to watch it. Even, even a show like The Mask, if you choose to watch that show, <laughs> then, you know, you can watch that any time. That's the audience for the show on the first night of it. I mean, I'm sure there's a, tail, a long tail of long that. Long tail, yes. Yeah, look, and that's, you know, it's interesting, you know, Channel 10 these days, they don't even put out press releases about their audience from the night before. They put out their press releases after 28 days once wow. the, the catch-up viewing's well, come in Well, there's a tail, well. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think uh, Source Media should get into some sort of streaming service, some sort of streaming yeah. TV? God, no, but, you know, I wonder if um, maybe a, a news content on those streaming services. Um, no, it's certainly not something that we're looking at now, but never say never. Um, you know, we've got some other objectives in the short to medium term. Okay. Other opportunities that we you, see. Feel free to share. 
Mm, when I can. <laughs> we, we can share with us. It's just me and Tim and Anthony. Yeah, sure, Peter. Yeah, well, between I, us. I, I have faith you have a much larger audience than that. <laughs> oh. You're a popular guy. Oh, yes, yeah, right. Well, no, the flattery will get you nowhere on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. So, no, but it's, what are the next challenges for you, Shorts? I mean, you know, you've launched this great podcast. That's terrific. Um, <laughs> uh, new products, or is it more on the cost side? Uh, not on cost. We've got. I'm very confident in the model we have. We're obviously quite a lean operation, you know. I mean, lean as in we we're, we're nimble. We hire as we need to. We we use a pool of journalists from around the country. They might work for you nine or news or um, that write for us. Um, we're you know we're certainly about growing. We're in growth phase um, in terms of headcount. Um, challenges for us has and always will be and is still in the short term is. Distribution. Distribution, oh, right. Yep, or oh, it still is. And again, I go back to that, you know, that everyone has a challenge with distribution and home delivery. Mm. Um, so that's an interesting space at the moment. Um, you know, growing the audience, growing audience is, is a huge uh, focus for us. And we haven't stopped launching things for the last six years. I don't see anything new, but again, never say never in the next 12 months. Um, it's about refining and... Would you feel well, like no, you, you do you have to keep launching to keep getting new audiences? No, not at all. No, not at all. I think that there was just natural things. You know, when we saw an opportunity to launch a Saturday paper that wouldn't have existed unless the other um, mainstream press was in a little bit of crisis, we, we wouldn't have been able to cut into that market mm. and, and grow. You know, we've got an audience of, um, depending Emma or Roy Morgan, you know, 267,000 or 128,000 in print alone mm. readership on a Saturday in five years. Well. Um that's pretty amazing, you know. So really for us is making sure that each of our products now um, are at their best in terms of look, feel, navigation, UX, um, mm-hmm. and growing audience. Okay. So um, we're running out of time, but we haven't touched on, and I think we should, uh, the digital platforms inquiry for the HLC because that, that way we can talk about our friends Facebook and Google. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of recommendations out there. The government's, you know, still in this process of post uh ACCC releasing its report now in, in this consultation phase. Um, but I guess the central question is, does the do, do we sense that the government is going to be up for winding back the market power of Google and Facebook? What do you think, Tim? Look, I think the, the, the government is always extremely keen to do what it can to help its friends in the media. And, of course, the existing media are very good at lobbying the government. So particularly, for instance, there's, there's a formidable lobbying operation of, uh, uh, of, of the, the TV industry through Free TV, for instance. Mm. The same, I think, goes with the, 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 you know, the news media publishers because yeah. they carry influence with the audience. So if the government can find ways of helping them, then I'm I'm sure that would be its default position. The challenge, of course, is that a lot of these are global forces rather than local forces. Well, that's what I want. You know, I mean, there's many ways to look at this one, but one of them is the Australian government somehow says, you know, we're going to break up Google and Facebook. That's not real, is it? I mean, that seems to be naive. What do you think, Rebecca? Is that just a pie in the sky? I, I think it is. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how they can do that. Yeah, I don't know either. Wind them back. I just think it's fanciful in a way. Um, I think, you know, I think there's some sincere, um, and we're not someone who's relied on either for much, to be honest, you know, um, in terms of reach. Um, oh. People come to us more than go through. But I think that there are some moves by each of them possibly to um, sincerely work with 
news media. Uh, who knows? We you know still exploring the way to do that, but I just don't see how they can be wound back or broken mm. up. Are you part of the Facebook accelerator thing? We are there. They're there today. It's the first, and actually, it's our first foray into anything like that. Right. Um, I think we need to explore those options. Or, or um, and 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 I'm open minded um, about what can come out of that. We've sent a team of um, five. Five people. Gosh, mm. that's that's a lot. That's mm. nearly all your staff. <laughs> It's very quiet here today. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> quite, quite enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for a quiet night, quiet day in Melbourne. Um, Tim, what do you think? Do you think, uh, yeah, just on that point about the Facebook, the platforms and their sincerity towards, I mean, some people, a cynic would say it's just all PR, really. You know, they spend a few, splash a few millions around. Who cares? It's nothing. What do you think? Look, I, I think they're, they're very motivated to try to be seen to be good citizens because, of course, the more that one does that, the more one's got a kind of counter argument when it comes to breaking them up or, 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 or you know, finding other ways of regulating them like they utilities. Mm. So, you, you know, absolutely what you do have now are people within those organisations who, whose, whose job it is to be a friendly face for the publishers, but also I think to be a voice for the publishers back into those, uh, back into those big, big Goliath companies as well. So, so, you know, I, I I moderated that panel at News Media Works with with people from Google and Facebook on, and I I felt for them a bit because they were in the lines down a little bit. You know, they were they were having to wave the flag for those organisations, and that's a that's a that's a tough gig. I hope they get paid a lot of money. Yeah, I bet they do. I'm sure they do. Yeah, Rebecca, would you ever work for Google or Facebook? Uh, more like Google than Facebook. Okay. Um, God, I don't know why I'm saying that. It just feels more. Um, they're very different. They're very, very different. They are different, and I think it's always often they get lumped together in and yeah, in people. Yeah, when, unfairly or just not accurately, really. Yeah, they're yeah. Just different yeah. companies. They're very different. They have very different objectives, and mm. um, yeah, I'd be more inclined probably to. Okay. Well, on on that sort of note, I think we have to leave it for this uh, week. Maybe I can get you both back when the uh, you know the treasurer has given his response to the ACCC inquiry and look at the future of Facebook and Google and all sorts of other things. I, I want to thank you both because I think we've had a, a, a terrific conversation. Um, I'd recommend it to anyone thinking about you know career in journalism and a career in the business side of journalism because um, some great insights. Um, so thank you, Tim. Thank uh, you, Peter. My Tim, pleasure. Tim Burrows from uh, the founder of Mumbrella. And I was going to ask you quickly, uh, what's your post-Mumbrella plan? Well, that will be many years in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I haven't got a scoop out of this show. All right. And Rebecca Costello, um, and I'm not going to ask you another curly question because you've knocked all mine back. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And enjoy the quiet day in Melbourne. I know. I will. Thank you so much. And uh, Richmond, I assume, over at Giants? Oh, can't do it. GWS. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, can't do it. Really? Yeah. Can't do it. No, I have to look. Look, it's their first first time. Oh, yeah, sentiment. Time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I fear it will be Richmond, though. But anyway, we'll find out soon enough. Very soon. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you both, and thanks to everyone for listening to the Fourth Estate. The this edition was recorded at the studios of Two SCR and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. And make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favorite podcast app, so you can hear us talk about media and politics and digital platforms and all sorts of things in between uh, at your leisure and we'll be back more with more next week uh, but in the meantime you can stay in touch with us on twitter where the handle is fourth estate au uh, 
And many thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. Uh, my name is Peter Frey. Thank you so much for listening.